0: You are listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Um, this is from the NIV version, John 17, 20 through 26. Uh, and Jesus is praying for all believers. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them.
1: This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Suzanne. All right. Well, um. As I said, we're wrapping up the Upper Room Discourse, a series that we've been in for quite a, quite a bit of time, in and out throughout, really since, dating back since November. And uh, for those that have been tracking with us, what you've seen on a high level is that in John chapter 13 through 16, what we have is Jesus' last set of teachings to his disciples on the night before he's going to be crucified. And then in John 17, we have the last things that Jesus said to his father before he's going to be crucified. And then last couple of weeks, we, we've been in John 17 looking at this great prayer that Jesus prays to the father. And I don't know about y'all, but uh, John 17, it just feels like really like <laughs> sacred, right? It's like we're, we're getting to listen in on, like eavesdrop in on this conversation that we really have no business listening in on, this, this, this conversation between God the Son and, and God the Father. Like, if you think about it, the, the, what the Bible teaches is that uh, God is a trinity. He's one God, three persons. This is how God reveals himself throughout Scripture, and it's a mind-bending Concept. I mean, it's mysterious. How, how is God one, but three, existing forever in an eternal relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit? I mean, that's, it's pretty mysterious. I, I, I give you that. But it, it's not just mysterious. It's also uh, really, really beautiful. And I say, I say that because uh, it's because God exists in this eternal community within himself, that God is love. It's because of that that God is love. See, God couldn't be love if he was all alone. If there was no one else to love before he ever created, then how would he be love? But since God has always eternally existed as three in one, the Father has always been loving the Son and the Spirit, and the Son's been loving the Father and the Spirit, and and the Spirit's been loving the Father and the Son. There's this beautiful love within the very essence, heart of God. And the idea that they have been loving each other like that for eternity past is also a very mind-bending idea, isn't it? I mean, it's like, I'm going you some stuff to just give you headaches for this morning. Let's talk about the Trinity. Let's talk about eternity past. Like, what in the world? I can't even begin to try to wrap my mind around that. But when I do try to wrap my mind around that, even just a little bit, one of the questions that comes to my mind is, hey, I wonder what they've been talking about. You know, for all eternity past, like, what, what do they talk about? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Except that, in John chapter 17, we, we kind of get a snapshot. We kind of at least at least on one side of the conversation, the, the son to the father, we get to see what he's talking about, what they're talking about with each other. And, and <laughs> that's wild. We get to eavesdrop in on this. But what's even, perhaps even more wild than that, is that when we start looking at what they're talking about, Well, we find that uh, at the end of this prayer, uh, Jesus begins talking about us, about you and me. Now, that's really wild. Like we were on his mind the night before the cross. Like we were a topic of conversation between the Son and the Father this morning as we look at this passage John 17 20 through 26 we're gonna we're gonna just kind of zero in on like what what was Jesus praying for us and then why was he praying that for us and then what he g- says he's given us to make what he's praying for us possible okay so that's where we're going let's let's look in at John chapter uh, 17 verse 20 it begins this way jesus says my prayer is not for them alone meaning his first disciples that's who he had just finished praying for he says so my prayer is not for them alone i pray also for those who believe in me through their message for those who will believe in me through their message who does that include well, that includes us. If if you have believed in Jesus through the message of the disciples, which is contained for us, passed down to us in the in the New Testament, in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, we say we read this, we learn about Jesus, who he is, we believe in him. He's that's if that's you, then that's who Jesus is praying for here. He's praying for you. And then here's what he prays. He says, Ah. Uh, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. Okay, two things to point out real quick. First, there's two requests here, okay? The first request is that we would be one together, like as, a, as each other, with all those who believe in him, we would be one. Okay, And then he describes that just as, just as you know, Jesus and the Father, Father is in him. This is that kind of incredible unity. That's the first request, that we would have that with one another. And then the second request is that may we also be in us. So, I mean, he's, Jesus says, may they also be in us, meaning us as believers be in this communion with God the Father and God the sun, this, this deep indwelling, this great unity. So if you sum this up, what Jesus is asking for here is he's asking for us to have unity with one another and with God. And my guess is that doesn't blow you away. I mean, I don't, I don't see any of us like, man, that's incredible that Jesus wants that for us. That's so awesome, right? It's like, come on, Jesus, you're Jesus. You could ask the Father for anything. Why don't you ask Him to give us a winning lottery ticket? That man, that would be great if we could just. Can you just come? I mean, why, why are you praying for this? Like, what does this even mean that we would be one as, as you are with, as the Father is one, and then you're with one, and then, and then we would be one with you? Like, as what? You feel that way? I'm reading this all week. I mean, I've, I've read this many times in my life, but I'm studying this this week, trying to figure out how to unpack this. I'm thinking, man, this is hard to explain. Like, what does this even really mean? And if you don't really understand what it means, it's hard to get excited about it, to be pumped up that Jesus would pray this for us on the night before we would go to the cross. This past uh, December, some good friends of Krista and I, um, we uh, gave us, a, a stay at uh, a timeshare that they own in Orlando as a gift, and so for Christmas, uh, Krista and I took a, a logo of Mickey, of Mickey of Disney World, the Mickey Mouse logo, you know, this his face, and uh, we cut it up into three pieces, and we put it in our kids, our three kids, their stockings. And, uh, and so on Christmas morning, they emptied out their stockings and there was candy and there was fruit because there's always fruit. Thanks to mom. And then there was this like random little piece of paper with a portion of Mickey Mouse's head cut in pieces. And, um, my boys who were going into eighth grade or in eighth grade at that time, um, they, uh, they got it right away. I mean, they saw it and they're like, we're going really, that's going to be awesome. But my little girl, she got her piece, and she couldn't make out what it was. But she saw that her brothers were excited, and so she tried to be real excited. But we could see that she didn't really know what she was excited about. (laughs) And so we said, well, Della, why don't you put the three pieces together and then think about what that could mean? And so she did. She put the pieces together, and then she, and then she uh, got it. It clicked. And she started jumping up and down and bouncing off the walls. We're going to Disney World and all that kind of really fun stuff, right? Well, I think that this, this prayer is kind of like that in, the, in this sense, that uh, unless we get the significance of what Jesus is asking for us here, then we won't, it won't mean much to us. But we won't understand what Jesus is praying for us here unless we get a fuller picture. We put a few pieces together. And specifically, if we get a fuller picture of what the Bible is all about, like the overarching story of, the, of Scripture, if I was to ask you, hey, could, could you summarize the story of the Bible in a sentence? What would you say? In fact, I've got a mic here. I'm just gonna just pick someone. No, just kidding. That would that would be mean. Um, but the Bible, 66 books written over thousands of years, all these different authors, but inspired by the Spirit of God, it tells one overarching story. Do you know that? And you to sum up that that story, I think a very fair and good (laughs) summary would be this, that the Bible tells the story of God restoring our communion with him and one another and all of creation. The Bible tells the story of God restoring our communion with him and one another and all of creation. So you think about it. the, The Bible opens up, right, with two people, And all of creation in perfect harmony with God and one another. But early on in the story, things go very badly. When when our first parents choose to disobey God, lean on their own understanding, redefine good and evil for themselves. See, when they do that, the result of it is that their relationship with God and with one another is severely Fractured. I mean, soon after Adam and Eve sin, Adam begins blaming Eve, right? I mean, it's just right away. It's like, it's like you see the relationship between one another is severed. Just one generation later, you have one of their sons killing their other son. I mean, it's just like this is what fractured between us and fractured relationship with God. But rather than leave Adam and Eve... To their shame, God mercifully seeks them out. In fact, it's in Genesis 3, right after they redefine good and evil. They go their own way. They rebel against God. It's right after that, we see that God's first words to them are not, what have you done? But where are you? Where are you? See, God is about communion with us and one another. And when we're separated from him, what he wants is for us to be with him. So he comes into the garden looking for them, asking, where are you? The author and pastor Rankin Wilborn, in his book, Union with Christ, which is just excellent, he makes this statement about this question. He says, where are you? That may be the best three-word summary of the Bible in the Bible. The whole rest of the book is the unfolding narrative of God's relentless pursuit to restore humanity, now banished from God's presence by the presence of our sin to God's original intent. Unbroken, unhindered communion with him and with one another and with all of creation. Which, spoiler warning, it's how the story ends. It's how the story ends. I mean, you skip all the way to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, second to last chapter in the book of the Bible. What we read is the apostle John giving a, giving, being given a vision into the future, and this is what he sees. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, from God And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God." To quote uh, the author, Sky Jathani, he says, "If the Bible were the script for a play, Both the opening scene and the final act of this drama would focus on God's desire to live with his people. This impulse carries the drama from beginning to end. And friends, everything in between, the opening of Genesis and the end of Revelation is a part of God's plan for how he will restore our communion with him and one another, and all of creation, and the story climaxes with the incarnation of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who has come to make that possible. Which is why, on the night before the cross, Jesus would pray, Father. Make them one with each other. And make them one with us. You get the fuller picture now? You see how this is, is incredible? You see that this is what has driven Jesus to earth and is driving him to the cross. It's what he wants for us. Friends, This is way better than a lottery ticket. This is what we were created for. This is where true life is found in a loving communion with God and with one another. I mean, to be swept up in the dance of the Trinity, the love that the Father has for the Son and the Spirit and vice versa, all of them loving one another, the self-giving, sacrificial, generous, uh, completely reciprocal. I think you're awesome. No, I think you're awesome. I love you. No, I love you kind of just (sighs) unity. That's what he wants for us with God. And the only thing better than that, if you could say anything that's better than that, is enjoying that with one another and having that poured out to others while they're pouring that out to you while you're all pouring it out on God who's pouring it out on you where it's just love catches fire. It's everywhere. You just love. That's what Jesus wants for us. That's what we were made for. That is where happiness is found, joy is found, peace is found, the life that we long for is found in this unity with God and with one another. Where we're saying, okay, no, 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 I'm not going to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Or vain conceit. No, out of joy, I'm going to humble myself and put you first. And you're saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to put you first. And you're saying, no, 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 I want to honor you. No, no, I'm going to outdo one another in honoring each other. No, 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 I'm, gonna, I'm for you. No, I'm for you. No, I'm going to meet your needs. No, I want to meet. I mean, that, to have that kind of community, all as a result of living within this kind of community with God, Oh, gosh, I, words fail to describe how incredible this is. The best word to describe it is the word heaven. This is what Jesus is praying for us. This is what he wants for us. And in light of that, I think that we can say to this prayer, amen and amen. Amen. Father, yes, make it so that we're one with you and one with one another. That's what Jesus prays for. Then at the last end of verse 21, he, he, he tacks on something. He, he, he tells us why he's praying this for us. Look at what he says. He says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, I don't want to overstate this. Okay, so that Jesus isn't praying for this unity with us, with God, that we would enjoy this unity with God and with one another, just for the sake of others. Now he is. That's not a means to an end. That is what it's all about, right? That's the whole story of the Bible. So this is communion with one another and with God and in all creation. However, Jesus does know that as we enjoy this incredible love and community with the Father and the Son and the Spirit and with one another, something will happen. What will happen? Those that are outside of that, but see it and see it express and see the love and the joy that we have with one another because of God, they will be drawn in. Then the world will know that the Father sent the Son, and they will believe, and they will join into this dance of the Trinity, and this love, and community, and unity. Him, Jesus wants that. He wants that, friends. He wants that for your family members. He wants that for your neighbors. He wants that for your friends and your coworkers. He wants that for all of us. It's why he came. Now, I taught on this part of this passage way back in November. So you, you might remember, I, I kind of came at it more from a missional focus. And so I'm gonna, I'm not, that's all I'm going to say on that aspect. <laughs> Other than one more thing. <laughs> and that's just, I just think this is so beautiful about the heart of Jesus. I mean, that he, in praying for us on the night before the cross, that we would be one with God, one with one another. He's still longing for people that know him. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those who will believe the message through his disciples, but he's also thinking about all those who have yet to believe. And he wants them to believe. And he knows the most powerful testimony that we can give to the world is this enjoyment and experience of love with God and with one another. So he prays that for us, but he also prays that for us so that they would believe. I love that about Jesus. May we be more like him. So that's what he prays. That's why he prays it. And that's just verse 21. All right, so we we got some work to do. Let's keep going. That was the longest point. Don't worry. Okay. In verse 22 and 23, Jesus states what he has given us that's going to make all this possible. Look at what he says I have given them the glory that you gave me. There it is. That's it. That's what we have been given. We have been given the glory. That the Father gave the Son. Now, I'm going to get back to that in a second. But I want you to recognize that Jesus says, as a result of this, all that he's just prayed for us is possible. I mean, look at this. I've given them the glory that you've given me, one, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you and me. That's the description of unity with God. Two, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That's referring to unity with one another. And then three, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Those are the three things that Jesus had just prayed for. And here he's saying they're all possible because he has given us the glory that the Father has given him. So what's that glory? good question. <laughs> good question. I wish I could say for sure what it is. <laughs> I, feel like that's, that's, I, I feel like I'm letting you down right now. I'll, I spent a lot of time this week, you can ask Krista, all the way up to very late last night, still trying to figure out exactly like, what, what are you talking about, Jesus? I read and read and read. I called the pastor friends. I did. I mean, I mean, I, I, I've done some research for you on this. You know what I found? Uh, people are all over the map on what this glory is. Some, some think that the glory that Jesus is referring to here is specifically the glory of being able to reveal the Father to others. And so, in that sense, the uh, we are uh, we get to participate. What Jesus has given us is the ability, the glorious mission, in a way, to participate in revealing the Father to the world. And therefore, we are one in purpose and in mind. Maybe that's it. Could be. Another option would be this the glory refers to the Holy Spirit. It's just interesting. It's weird because the Holy Spirit's not referred to as glory anywhere else in Scripture. Uh, but if you could take it all the way back to Gr- uh, Gregory of Nyssa, or Nyssa, Nyssa, I don't know how to say that word, um, back in 375 A.D., I told you I did some i did some reading, I did some research here. He put forth this idea, and it's intriguing that the Holy Spirit is the glory that Jesus is referring to here. I mean, it kind of would make sense to be the Father and the Son, there's this long conversation, no, no mention of the Spirit in this In all of chapter 17, and yet maybe here, this is Jesus saying, okay, the glory you've given me is Jesus in human flesh and his life on earth, the way that he communed with the Father was through the Spirit. And now Jesus is saying, I have now given them the Spirit so that they can continue to commune with you, Father, and with me as I am in them through the Spirit. So maybe that's what he's talking about. Maybe the glory is the Spirit. Certainly the Spirit is how we are united with God and united with one another. Maybe. The other option would be, or another option would be, I'm not going to give you all of them. Here's the last one I'll, I'll mention. Some believe that the glory the Father gave Jesus and that Jesus given us refers to the glory of just of being loved by the Father. Which is a connection that Jesus makes in verse 24, where he says, "The glory you have given me because you have loved me. See, uh, being loved by someone you adore, <laughs> that's the best, isn't it? This week, my, uh, my parents kept uh, uh, my kids for us. And, uh, so we, Chris and I had, uh, four nights just to ourselves. It, it, and it was glorious. And, uh, we just got to hang out. We went to dinner a few nights. We just spent time together. It was so awesome. And I just, she's the greatest. And so during this, this, this week, multiple times, I just told her, like, I, I, I just can't believe you love me. <laughs> it makes me so happy that you love me. I just can't, I can't believe it. It's like, this, it really is. To be loved by someone you adore, it just is, it's just so awesome. But, man, to be loved by the God, the Father, the creator of all, the majestic one, that he would love us. As Jesus says here, this verse, even as he loves the Son, that we would be loved by the Father to this degree, the same degree that he loves the Son, that, my friends, that is glorious. There is a glory to being loved by the Father. And that love that the Father has for the Son is given to us by the Son by Jesus giving his life for us. I don't know what glory in this passage means for sure. If I were to land somewhere, I would land in that last one, love, that, that the glory is in reference to the glory of being loved by the Father. But if you want to nerd out and do some digging on it, go for it, you know, knock knock yourself out. But here's, here's the thing that I will say for all of us. Whether it's, the the glory of sharing the mission of God by getting to reveal the Father to the world, or whether it's the glory of the Holy Spirit coming to indwell us, giving us the communion with God and with one another, or whether the glory is the love of God lavished on us in the Son, all of those things are true of us. Other scriptures make it clear that we have been given all of those things. And the way that we've been given those things is through the Son who, again, gave his life for us. In Romans 3.23, it's a famous verse. Many of us know it. It says, that all have sinned and fall short of the what? The glory of God. Meaning that we all are not glorious. That because of our sin, we fall short of God's glory. Only one human ever has not fallen short of the glory of God. Only one human, Jesus the Christ, has come and perfectly represented God, who has been perfect in his righteousness, who has revealed the glory of God in his coming. But this one who was perfectly glorious did not receive the glory that he was due in his time on earth. Instead, his glorious life ended with shame as he was crucified on a criminal's cross. Why did Jesus go to the cross It was because through the cross, he would exchange our sin with his glory so that in him, we could measure up. We could be gifted a righteousness, imputed his perfect resume so that we in him would be the very glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, puts it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Christ we no longer fall short of the glory of God, enabling us to enter into full communion with him and restoring a relationship with others. See, uh, the story of the Bible, God restoring communion with him, with one another and all of creation, that story climaxes in the incarnation of Christ who came to die in our place. I love how Peter sums it up in 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might, what, Bring us to God. Where are you? Friends, if you are in Christ, then you have been brought to God. You are with God again. He has restored us to the Father. But not only that, he has also made the way for us to be restored To one another. I think about what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus when he's talking about the the, the divide between Jews and Gentiles, two groups that hated each other, had nothing to do with one another, but he says this that because of Christ they've been brought together. Look what he says, Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus who has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the bearer, the dividing wall of hostility. See, friends, to sum all of this up, through Jesus taking on our sin and giving us his righteousness, He has made the way for us to be restored to loving communion with God and one another. He has made the way for us to be given the glory of the Holy Spirit, and he has made uh, us the object of the Father's glorious love, and he has given us the glorious privilege of helping reveal God to the world so that they will believe that the Father sent the Son, and they too can enter into this communion with God and with one another. And so on the night before the cross... Jesus takes time to talk to his father about all this and to pray for you and to pray for me that this would be our reality because this is what he wants for us. And then Jesus, he begins to bring his prayer to a close by looking ahead to the future. Verse 24, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. And this is Jesus looking ahead after the cross, after the resurrection, after his ascension to where he's at the right hand of the Father, fully revealed in all of his splendor, all of his majesty, all of his glory. And he's saying, I want, I want those <laughs> Who believe in me, that you've given me, Father. I want them to see me as I really am. I want them to be with me there. Again, that's what He's after. He wants us to be with Him. Yeah, it's going to be amazing when we see Him that day. We realize Jesus is so much better than we ever imagined. Then Jesus adds this promise. So He wraps it up Righteous Father, Though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me and I have made you known to them. And here's the promise. I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them. And that I myself may be in them. That's his promise. He will continue to make the father known so that the love the Father has for Jesus may be in us, and so that Jesus himself may be in us, indwelling us. Perfect communion. That we may experience the love of God and communion with God now and forevermore. And if we keep reading where we begin to see how Jesus keeps his promise. See, the very next verse, John chapter 18, verse 1 says, And when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples, and he crossed the Kidron Valley. And on the other side, there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. And now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. And so Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. And Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. And then they proceed to arrest him and to put him through a mockery of a trial. And they slap his face and they mock him. And the next day they flog him. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they crucify him. And at no point does Jesus ever try to stop them. For through his death, the righteous for the unrighteous, he was bringing us to God. Restoring our communion with God and with one another. See, that's what he came for, and that's what he prayed for, and that's what he promised he would do. And so that the love of the Father has for him may now be ours in him. Friends. Friends. How should we respond to this? Worship? Yeah. I mean, let's be in awe of what Jesus did for us to bring us into community with the Father, Son, and Spirit, with God, and with one another. Yeah, let's worship him. We're going to do that in a minute. But I would also suggest that a fitting response to all this, to see what what Jesus went through and what was on his heart, what he's praying for us, that communion with God and with one another, loving unity with God and one another is such a big deal to him. Maybe, just just maybe, (laughs) it should be a big deal to us too that we should prioritize that too, that we would counter it, that we would schedule it into our daily practices. See, this year, if you've been with Midtown over this, this since the fall, you know we, we've had three times we, we really lean into certain practices from the life of Jesus. The first was community. And then in February, it was prayer. Just recently, it was Sabbath. Those practices, they're not a means to an end. They're not just good things to do in and of themselves. The reason that we've focused on these practices is because they are, in a lot of ways, the the, the thing that leads that, that flows right into what life is all about. The prayer is the way that we communicate and commune with God. Sabbath is a day that we set aside just to enjoy God, to rest in God, to spend time with God and enjoy the good gifts that God has given us to stop our toil and labor, that we could just commune with God for a whole day every seven days. This, this This is how we practice practically communion with God. It's not the only way, prayer and Sabbath, but there are two good ways. That's why we've been talking about this, this is what Jesus came to make possible for us. I think one way that we respond is that we would lean in. That we would actually pray. That we, we would begin our day in prayer and contemplating God's great love for us, receiving his love, talking to him, communicating with him, telling him about how much we love him. Just being in relationship, talking to him about what's going on in our life and our heart and our day that week. And, and we would pray. Then we would spend a day with him each Sabbath. And that we would be in community, loving one another. We don't just talk about being in an MC, in Midtown Community just because we, we want you to have friends, Though we really do want you to have friends, as good as that is. But because this is life, loving one another, receiving love, receiving the love of God through others, and then giving that love back and having that kind of, this is what Jesus prayed for us. How about we lean into that? There's a big deal to Jesus. May it be a big deal to us. And as we do it, may we find, may we find out why it was such a big deal to Jesus. Because this is where life is. Enjoy the love of God as we commune with God. And love with one another as we're one with one another. I want to encourage you to respond in those ways. See, I think that would be an answer to prayer. Answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, 20 through 26. He's made it possible. Let's align our lives with it.
0: Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us, because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.